I'm in Romans, so if you have your Bibles, Romans chapter 1, uh, we're still there, we're going to be there for a while, but if you're new with us this week, we just started a few weeks ago, Romans is a letter written by the Apostle Paul, and he's writing to the church in Rome because he needs their support, wants their support for his mission to carry the gospel to Spain, and as I've said week after week, the gospel is the focus of this letter. The gospel is the focus of Paul's ministry. And so leading up to where we are today, it's been about the gospel. And today, it is about the gospel. Romans chapter 1. And I want you to look with me at verse 16. It's a verse that we very often will pull out and quote and state and celebrate. And we ought to, but in this context, Paul has been sharing already, and this is the thrust, this is the focus of this whole letter. So Romans chapter 1, verse 16, Paul says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone, to everyone who believes, to the Jew first, and also to the Greek, for in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written... The righteous shall live by faith. There's just a few things I want to say today about the gospel. First of all, it's something that's very personal. Paul is speaking about himself at this point, and he says, I am not ashamed. He doesn't say anything to anyone else. He doesn't say anything about anyone else. His focus is on himself right now, and he says, I am not ashamed. And his story is quite compelling because up until this point in this letter, he has already said in verse 1 that he is set apart for the gospel. In verse 9, he said that he is serving in the gospel. In verse 15, he told them he was eager to share the gospel and so now he says there's no shame in the gospel it is compelling for Paul to say that he is you know he's set apart he's serving and he's eager to share so now there's no shame his ministry his life is all consumed by the gospel so the gospel is something that is personal but it is also something that affects our attitude Paul says, I am not ashamed. Now, if you hear that word ashamed, I don't necessarily know what comes to your mind, but it, it is a word that relates to our feelings. It's a, it's a feeling of disgrace. It can be a feeling of pain or some loss of status. It, it could relate to guilt and some embarrassment, that the whole feeling of shame is something that psychologists have studied through the years. And I want to just share some information from uh, the magazine, the periodical Psychology Today. They wrote an article in 2015 and they talked about shame and talked about what a powerful emotion that uh, really relates to our failure to attain some ideal state. So shame is this attention that we turn on ourselves when we experience something that leads to this sense of disgrace or our failure to attain something. Shame relates to self-awareness. When you and I are aware that people are making judgments about us, we could be tempted to feel shame. I'll give you an, an example. If you're invited to an event 
and you show up and you are dressed completely different and inappropriately to the event. Like you're invited to a party, you think it's casual, everybody there is in a suit and tie, guys. And all the ladies are in dresses and here you all are, shorts and t-shirts. Are you all with me? You're, you're going to feel shame because of that, uh, some embarrassment. Uh, have you ever gotten off the elevator on the wrong floor? You're in an elevator with people, the doors open, you step out and immediately realize it's the wrong floor. But heaven forbid you turn around and admit that it's the wrong floor. You know, you have that feeling of shame. So that's one aspect of it. Another is self-blame. We can bring shame on ourselves. Now, not that I would ever do anything like this, but if I were to, for some research purpose, to go buy a container of Haagen-Dazs, amen, preach it, sister, yeah, and, and say, I'm just going to take a few bites, you know, and then before you know it, I'm scraping the bite. Now, not that that's ever happened in my life, but... Maybe you've read about something like this. I could feel shame and that it's self-blame. I've done something to myself and, and I feel really bad about that. Or, or maybe the standards, when we do something that is contrary to the normally accepted standards. An example of that is sitting in a funeral and you start laughing about something, you know? Have y'all ever been in a social setting where you just feel the urge to do something completely wrong? All of these things can result in shame. Now, I, I went around the world to describe what shame is. And it can be brought on by a lot of different things. And what Paul tells us is that when it comes to the gospel, that is not something about which we should feel shame. He says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Now, I'm just going to be completely honest with you. There are times when I would not say I'm ashamed, but I'm a little bit timid with the gospel. Does that make sense? There are times when I may hold back. And, and I know many of you are far better acquainted with Paul than I am. But when you think about his life, there had been some things that could have resulted in some shame for him. Just, just a quick survey, he had been placed in prison because of the gospel. Now, this day and age, there might be the temptation for some to say, well, if I'm in prison, I might feel some shame. Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. He'd been chased out of Thessalonica because he'd preached the gospel. Now, if I get chased out of a town because I'm preaching the gospel, there may be a temptation on my part to sort of Go back and say, well, maybe I need to reevaluate this. Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. He had been smuggled out of Berea to save his life. They had sneered at him in Athens, considered him a fool in Corinth, and he had been stoned in Lystra. And that is, the town ganged up on him and threw big rocks at him until they thought he was dead. And all of that was because of the gospel. But Paul says, I personally am not ashamed of the gospel. So it is something that is personal, but it also affects our attitude. But thirdly, I'd like you to be reminded today that the gospel is something that is very powerful. Here the Bible says it is the power of God. Now I'm not sure what you think of when you hear the word power. Now, in the South, I know we immediately think about electricity. The power's out, right? 
We think power, we think electricity. For some of you who are mechanical in nature, you're thinking about it as a resource, a supply of how much power does the car have? Another consideration, I mean, the dictionary says it is the ability to do something or to act in a particular way. We have the power. You know, I don't know what you think about, but here we're talking about the power of God. Now, folks, I know we're the early service on a Sunday morning in the South, and we're the crowd that are very familiar with God, the creator of this world, that in our typical belief, we believe God spoke this world into being. He said, let there be light. There is light. That all-powerful God, we are told, is found in the gospel. It is the power of God. And so Paul says it's personal, it affects our attitude, but it is very powerful. Why is it so powerful? And the reason is because of where the gospel originates, where the gospel comes from. It comes from God. It's his power. Warren Wearsby is a name that a generation of believers know he was a well-known Bible preacher and teacher for a couple of generations. He passed away just in the last few months. And when he reflected on this verse, he went back to his high school years where he said in high school he was chosen to be an office monitor. There were hallway monitors, but he was the office monitor. And he would sit outside the office, and the principal would come to him and say, I need you to do this. I need you to get this message to this teacher. And he said, I used to absolutely love interrupting classes. He said, those teachers couldn't say anything to me because of who I was speaking for, who I was representing, the principal had sent me. I had the power. And Wearsby says it's good for the church to think about the gospel in those terms. Because when God says, I love you, when God says, I'll send my son to die for you, and when God says to us, go into all the world, friend, I'm telling you, we have the very power of God. And that power is multifaceted. We, it's the Greek word dunamis. And if you've been in church for more than about a year, you've heard it said that's the word that we get dynamite from. And that it's a... Dynamite's a transliteration of that word, but think about the word dynamic, Pro productive activity and change, dynamite. Now, there have been a lot of sermons preached about how the gospel is God's dynamite and it'll blow you out of your sins. I'm not going to preach that today. Because the gospel is not destructive. The gospel is productive. I'm telling you, it's the only thing that can put our lives back together. And so when you think about power, I don't know what you think about on this earth and in your life that is all powerful. But I need you to think with me today about the power of the gospel. We often talk about atomic 
weapons and how powerful they are and their power to destroy. Friend, I do want to tell you, the gospel of God is not that which destroys us, but it has destroyed the stronghold of Satan. And it is the gospel that can get into and attack and take care of and destroy all of those strongholds that Satan has in our lives and in any life of any person. Sometimes we think, There's power in politics. You know, if we just organize and if we do and if we get the right people. Listen, I want to tell you, the gospel will tear down barriers like no politician ever could. It's far more powerful. We we will often think of financial freedom. If I just had the power of the dollar. Friend, I want to tell you, the only thing that can ever buy freedom. The only thing that will ever gain for us unimaginable wealth in eternity. It is the gospel of God. It is the power of the gospel. So the gospel is personal. The the gospel should affect our attitude, and it is powerful. Now, Now before I get off of that notion, I just want you to know that power of the gospel is best seen when it is demonstrated when it is lived out. Does that make sense? It's one thing for me to try to preach about the power of the gospel. It's another thing for somebody to write about it. But I'll tell you what is the most powerful thing is when somebody lives out the gospel. When our lives are transformed by the gospel, when our way of thinking is changed by the gospel, and when we begin to live that out, That is the most, no pun intended, powerful demonstration of the gospel you can imagine. To see a life that has been changed. And to see what the gospel can do. I've shared with y'all before a time in my life when, when I was literally afraid. Now, I will never tell you that I was trembling, but I might have been trembling. I was on a mission trip to Uganda with Ken Gallion. And he said, we're going to go preach in the prison. And I thought that was great till he said, you're preaching. And then they, they carried me in that prison. I'm telling you, I've been in prisons in this country. Not I, but I mean, I've visited <laughs> prisons in this country. So let me rephrase that. Um, and you know, when those bars close behind you, it, it, it rattles you again. No pun intended. We walked into this courtyard of this prison with people looking at us. Now, let me just remind you, I'm in Africa. Let me just remind you, I stand out in Africa, okay? And and we walk into this courtyard, and those guards close the gate behind us and leave. I'm in the courtyard of an African prison. And I got to tell you, I knew I was there as a man of God, as a missionary, somebody with a Bible in his hand. But can I tell you, I was just a little bit intimidated. And I'm not proud of the fact that I said, Ken, I just, I've never preached in a prison, much less one in Africa where there's no guards. Why don't you lead out, brother? Wasn't that big hearted of me? And those folks who were walking around, looking at us so suspiciously, Seemingly to grow by feet every few seconds, Ken opened his Bible and he began to preach the gospel. And can I tell you, it just did something to me. 
my fear began to melt away. The suspicion on the face of so many of those criminals began to change. And what started with five guys turned into 50 guys, turned into 150 guys that stood around and listened to the gospel. And before it was over and said and done and we said amen, some of those criminals, literally murderers, were in tears. Why? Because of the power of the gospel. And I want to tell you, it is best understood when it is on display. It's personal. It affects our attitudes. The gospel is powerful. But it is also something with a specific purpose. The verse says that I am not ashamed of the gospel. For it is the power of God for salvation. That, that is the purpose, salvation. Now, now that word in the Bible is exactly what you believe it to be. It, it means to be rescued from danger. It means to be restored to a former state of safety. It means to be in a state of well-being. And it has the idea of rescue and restoration. And friend, I want to tell you, we all need to be rescued from our sin. We all need to be redeemed from our sins. We all need to be restored to a right relationship with God. We need to be right with the sovereign King of kings. And that is what the gospel is for. It is the power of God for salvation. And lastly, I I want to remind you, it is something without boundaries. It's something that knows no boundaries. Now, anytime I hear that word boundary, my mind goes back to that deeply theological Andy Griffith show. When Andy's trying to teach boundaries to Ernest T. Bass, are any of you sophisticated enough to know what I'm talking about? He's trying to teach, you know, the U.S. Y'all remember this geography lesson? And he said it's bounded on the north by Canada, it's bounded on the south by Mexico, it's bounded on the east by the Atlantic. And Ernest T., do you know what it's bounded by out on the west? He said, oh man, Kelsey's woods. He said, no, it's a body of water. Oh man, Kelsey's creek. Y'all remember that? No, big body of water. It's an ocean. Oh man, Kelsey's ocean. I mean, so he just couldn't imagine that it was something that big. And so I'm telling you, sometimes with the gospel, we think small. And we think far smaller than we ought to think with God. There is no boundary with the gospel. The the Bible says that it is for everyone who believes. And, And what Paul says is for the Jew first. So understand, the gospel came first to the Jews. God's choice people were the Jews. He worked through the Jews. His son Jesus born as a Jew. Paul coming out of Judaism. So the gospel was first for the Jews, then for the Greeks. What does that mean? All the non-Jews. The gospel is for everybody, for anyone who will believe, believe, believe. And if you were here last week, I hope you understand. That word believe is the same word as faith. For anyone who will faith, trust Jesus. That's who the gospel is for. Paul said, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel. 
For it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. To the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. See, it is through the gospel that God's righteousness is revealed. And this verse says that when we come by faith and we stay by faith and we live by faith and we die in faith, listen, if we're going to live at all, it's going to be by faith. So let me just remind you, that which is personal, relating to you and to me, but on a personal level, you and I have to deal with the gospel individually. Do we care about it corporately? Heavens, yes. What we do here, hopefully, by the grace of God, is all for the gospel of God. But you and I must deal with it individually. And it affects our attitude. Listen, the gospel ought to change the way we think, the way we act. And it's powerful. It is more powerful than anything we can imagine. It's more powerful than anything we've dealt with before. It is the only thing. That can put lives back together. It's the only thing that can give us hope for a future. And it has a purpose. There's no aimless wondering when it comes to the gospel. The gospel is for salvation. But it also has no boundary. It touches everyone of every race, every culture, every tribe. The gospel. Let me just remind you, that word simply means good news. Good news. When you hear gospel, just think good news. William Tyndale said, euangelion, that's the Greek word, it's fun to say, euangelion, that's the word, good news. He he says, it signifies a good, merry, glad, and joyful tidings that makes a man's heart glad and makes him sing, dance, and leap for joy. It's good news. I, I don't know what is good news for you. We almost had good news. There was cooler weather for two days. Did y'all notice that? Wasn't that good news? They had rain in the forecast for a couple of days. Man, that was good news. We were so excited. Your team won yesterday. That's good news. All the stuff that you and I have in our life, good news, good news. We live in a day where we desperately need good news. And friend, I want to tell you, the gospel is good news. And and the good news is, is that Jesus saves Anybody from anywhere at any time who will believe and place their faith in him can be saved. You've heard the story about Sherlock Holmes. He went camping with Dr. Watson, his faithful sidekick. They had a good meal. They laid down for the night. They went to sleep. And some hours later, Sherlock Holmes nudged his friend, Dr. Watson. He said, Watson, look up at the sky and tell me what you see. And Watson said, I see millions and millions of stars. Sherlock Holmes said to him, what does that tell you? And Watson was quiet for just a minute. And he said, well, astronomically it tells me that there are millions of galaxies and potentially billions of planets. Astrologically, I observe that Saturn is in Leo. Orologically... I deduce that the time is approximately 3.30 in the morning. Theologically, I can see that God is omnipotent, that we are small and insignificant creatures. And meteorologically, I can't say it, 
I suspect that we will have a beautiful day tomorrow. And then Watson said, what does it tell you, Dr. Holmes? And Holmes was silent and he said, Watson, you meathead, it tells me someone has stolen our tent. That's deep theology, if y'all want to write that. I tell you that silly story to tell you, there's some obvious things that we may miss from time to time. And the most obvious thing is that you and I have good news, and we need to share the good news. Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It's the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. There is in the chair back in front of you a little card with blue borders. And at the very bottom it says, who's your one? I'd like for you to take one of those. And I'd like for you to prayerfully consider writing a name on a card. We're not going to publish these names, but I would love for you to write the name of someone that you know. I asked you to contemplate this last week. Here's the next step. Could you write the name down of someone, just a first name, maybe just a neighbor, just a co-worker, maybe cousin, somebody that you know needs the gospel? Among Southern Baptists, we're promoting who's your one. Who is your one? Who is your one that you will begin to pray for to hear and understand the gospel? Who is your one that at the right time when the Holy Spirit makes clear in your heart that it's time to write them a note, send them a card, write a text or an email just to say I'm I'm praying for you. Who's your one that at the right time you could make a phone call and say, Look, I've, I've been praying for this and I'm ready now to just tell you what Jesus has done for me. Who is your one that at the right time you would say, I'd love for you to come to church with me. Who's your one that you're willing to help find a church wherever they are. Who is your one that you will begin to storm heaven on behalf of So that they will hear and understand that the power of God is found in the gospel. Who's your one? And I would love for you to jot that name down. And if you're comfortable doing it today, just put it in the offering plate at the end of the service. Those will come to me. I just would love to collate them and count them and just say, we're praying for X number of people. We won't give names. We won't give locations. We won't embarrass you or anybody. But who's your one? Because I'm telling you, week in and week out, here we are worshiping Jesus and singing to Him and opening His Word. But I'm telling you, we as a church, we got to be gospel focused. And we got to get the gospel out. So, who is your one? It is the one thing that everybody needs. Did you know that? It's the one thing that everybody needs. And when they feel hopeless, And when they are afraid, and when they are confused, and when life is crumbling around them, it's the one thing. There's not a self-help book in this world that's going to put a life back together. There's not enough financial security to make eternity. There is nothing else. It is the one thing, but it is 
also everything. Who is your one? Would you bow your heads with me? Lord Jesus, today, how thankful we are for the gospel. For as your word says, it is the power of God. And so, Lord, I pray that you would stir in our hearts a renewed appreciation for the gospel. A new appreciation for the power that is contained therein. That we would understand it is for everyone who believes. And so, Father, today, having heard the gospel again, that you love us enough to send your son Jesus to die on the cross for us, that if we will come by faith, trusting in your grace, we can be saved. And that is true for anyone, anywhere that will hear and respond. And so today, would you give us the name of our one that we'll pray for. Our one that we will bring before you. Our one that we will in good time and in the right way reach out to. To encourage, to share, to talk with, to invite. Father, would you help us? To take seriously the power of the gospel and the purpose of the church to share that gospel. Lord, as we worship you through music now, it might be that someone in this room, someone watching online, someone who would hear the podcast would understand their need for a Savior. Lord, would you help them to come by faith today? Find us faithful, Lord. Lord, help us to be good stewards of the gospel. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.